<laughs> Fyodor with his uh, Das kleine Schwarzeinhorn. German for little black unicorn. Yeah, him and his warlock patron. <laughs> Anyways, welcome back to the campaign diaries, everybody. Um, this is session three, episode two, The Curse of Strad. That's going to get confusing. We're just going to call this session two. We're going to count the episodes. Death house. Yeah, as the entire as, thing, even yeah, though it was two it was sessions. Two sessions. We're going to call this. So, this is episode two, everybody, in case that logic train didn't quite track for you all. So, where do we start? We have all of our characters from the previous sessions now with new names. So, if that. X amount of generations later. Yeah, two generations later. So, their parents were one generation, then them. They are the second generation. Their grandparents are the ones that went to Barovia and fought in the Death House, and we heard all about that horrendous experience earlier. If you didn't listen to episode one and you're just coming into episode two, I highly recommend you go back and listen to the first episode for The Curse of Strad, which is my campaign. You also go back and listen to the first episode of Adventurers Assemble, which is Ben's campaign. As more and more of these campaign diaries go out, we're going to probably stop suggesting and or recapping what happened. So it'll get very easy to become lost if you don't go and catch up. Or we'll at the very least do a when we last saw our heroes, but that tells you what happened yesterday, not what happened last month. Right. Once you get far enough along, yeah, it's challenging. Of course, I can't start with when we last saw our heroes because we haven't seen these heroes yet. So I did this weird thing, right, where I made them play through the Death House as their grandparents, and then I dropped their players in as their actual characters. So now we've got the player's actual characters, and we've done two sessions, and I needed to think of a good way to explain all the players being in one location. I had recently, when I started prepping for this, purchased the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and I was flipping through, and I was trying to pick some place that's not super important, but also kind of centrally located. So we ended up near the town of Daggerford, where everybody in the party was responding to an open bulletin posting of a werewolf activity. And there was a reward for bringing back X number of werewolf heads and or the werewolf alpha. And I just went ahead and let the party have that. It would make sense to level everybody up to three since their actual characters didn't do the death house, but I'm letting everybody have level three characters. Kind of gave us all the backstory of they went, they fought these werewolves, they made it to level three. They are now returning to... Daggerford to collect their reward from the Duchess, Lady Marwyn Daggerford. So, to reiterate, we have two paladins in the party. We have Reddick and Fyodor, played by Austin and Jeremy. Jeremy also does the logo for this series of campaign diaries, and if you've never checked out his art, go look him up. Jeremy Stroop3 uh, on Instagram. You can see tons of his work. Connect with him there. Great guy. Love having him. Brilliant artist. Then we had Austin, very dear friend of mine, playing Reddick. So those are our two paladins from the Order of the Mist Guard. Right out the gate, I worked with those two to develop this knightly order that spans this mountain range where on one side of the mountains is nothing but mist. And nobody who goes in ever comes out except for the most vile and nasty monsters of, uh, of the, that the D&D realms can throw out. Every once in a while, those will come out of the mist. So there's a whole order of knights that both of these guys belong to that guard the mists. Reddick, Austin's character, Reddick is older, more seasoned. He's been in the order for a while. He's probably pushing 40, kind of the more grizzled cop type character. 
very practical and very level-headed. His partner <laughs> is Fyodor, again played by Jeremy. Fyodor is uh, he's a rookie, very personable. Everybody likes Fyodor. He's got little to no intelligence, really. Uh, he's just having a great time all the time and drives Reddick up the wall, which is entertaining. The buddy cop dynamic in Barovia is a, hilarious. I don't know if I ever necessarily picked up on that because it's always such a a six, well, then six, now seven person yeah. dialogue at the table. I would love to hear more interplay from them in the future. Well, I'm hoping Yeah. if they, they probably will listen to this, but I'm hoping to split the party in the near oh, future and send one group towards one location and another group towards another location. And I may or may not have, over this past Memorial Day weekend, spent some time with my sister, Anna, and her husband. And my sister's not a D&D player, but she's like a brilliant story crafter. Mm-hmm. And we were bouncing ideas back and forth for a, a new villain to throw into Barovia that's completely original. Oh, goodness. And may or may not also be a vampire. May or may not also be a big, gigantic problem. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to do that to you guys, but anyways, that's getting way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> So we have the two paladins. We had the cleric who met the paladins as they were sent away from the Order of the Misguard to do essentially mission work where they hunt down monsters outside of their realm of protection. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they hunt down monsters that have broken through. And uh, they met with this cleric, Gertrude. I just can't. I just I love the name. I love Catherine who is playing Gertrude. But Mother Gertrude is just so wonderfully named. She's actually switched domains. Uh, Hmm. Along the way, as we were leveling things up, she switched to a death domain cleric. Ah. Honestly. What'd she start as? She started as a life domain cleric of uh, of the Morning Lord. So Lithander is the Morning Lord outside of uh, the Sword Coast. It goes by a different name, I think, in the Sword Coast, and in Barovia specifically, it is just the Morning Lord. He doesn't really get a name, but this is her deity, because Barovia used, uh, the way I'm playing it, Barovia used to be part of the Sword Coast, sort of, Yeah. but it used to be a known land, Yeah. and now it's just mists and nobody goes there. So it's very easy to change subclasses behind the scenes, I say that because I did it too. Right. She didn't also change deities, right? No. Good. She didn't. (laughs) And that's one of the things where uh, the Death Domain clerics get a really bad rap because their whole purpose, if you read it right, at least in my mind, is to make sure things stay dead, which makes sense for a cleric who's traveling with a couple of monster hunters and is then going to find themselves in Barovia. So she did end up changing that that subclass, and it, in hindsight, makes way more sense for the way she plays her character, even played her character through those first couple of sessions. Mm Mm-hmm. They met at Daggerford, the wizard and the rogue. The wizard being played, obviously, by my wife, who we've heard on the podcast before, Georgia. Her wizard is Aaron. She's an evocation wizard, so she focuses on making things go boom, which we may or may not hear on this recording from our neighbors, because it is Memorial Day. Yay! (laughs) If it sounds like there's bombs going off in the background, they're not. They're fireworks. It's just fireworks. And Ben does a great job in the editing anyway, so you probably will never hear it, dear listener. And then we met our rogue, which we've introduced actually a couple of times now. And this this rogue has now had three names. Uh, well, he's got several. Well, I mean, he meets this party as Jagger. Right. And he was previously Vesper. 
And then he was in your campaign as Spike. Yes. It's a very long-lived rogue. And then, yeah, there's some other names that I haven't even pulled out yet. <laughs> so we'll see if they become necessary. All right. So everybody met Daggerford. They were given their go-ahead to fulfill the contract that was posted by Lady Marwyn. They went. They fought their, their werewolves. That's almost all background information as to where we started session two. And then we got into session two. So everybody's coming back from this fight with these werewolves. They're all kind of riding the high. They're going to turn in for their reward to Lady Marwyn. And they arrive at Daggerford and they're met by Lady Marwyn's captain of the guard who says, the Duchess would like to speak with you all. Please follow me. They're escorted into the keep. Daggerford is a small, modest town. The town itself is walled, but not... It's more like a wooden palisade. The The real focus is the keep. It's a, a large central keep tower with its crenellations and all of its wonderful medieval castlery. And then a 25-foot multiple-towered retaining wall around it. It itself is a fortification designed for war. And that's kind of a big deal when we, maybe if we get back to the Sword Coast, where Daggerford is located is on the main road out of Baldur's Gate. Several days out of Baldur's Gate, but out of Baldur's Gate. So it's theoretically, if an army is trying to invade Baldur's Gate, they're going to have to fight at Daggerford first. And Daggerford is designed to withstand that. Ergo, the lady, the lords and ladies of Daggerford, they're actually quite important people, even if it is a small estate. Which could become important later. We'll see. The party goes in, they, they meet with Lady Daggerford, and she's uh, very happy that the werewolf problem has been taken care of she invites everyone to a feast awesome everybody goes to the feast and in the feast the captain of the guard comes back in while everyone's talking and kind of getting to know each other there's a lot of character interaction which was really good for that you know only really being the second session and the captain of the guard whispers something to lady marwin and lady marwin just in the middle of dinner shouts then drive them off I don't want their wagons there come morning. Otherwise, I will burn every single one of them. It was very awkward because the rest of the party <laughs> is talking to each other and suddenly I, the DM, just start shouting in the middle of the session. I can't remember who asked. What was that all about? But the Lady Mormon says, you know, forgive me, but we have these visitors camping just outside the walls of the keep and they've been asked to leave multiple times and they drink and they carouse all night. And uh, they're refusing to leave. I feel like it was probably Reddick. Maybe I'm just saying that because Austin's usually sitting just right there to your right. But he's also often the the measured mouthpiece of the party. He very often makes the decision that makes the most logical sense from a certain point of view. <laughs> because sometimes in D&D, you have to do the thing that is illogical to progress. But Which I, is it, what the rest of us are for. Right. But it was it might have been Austin. And so the Lady Marwin explained that there were these visitors. They say they're not gonna leave. Is there anything maybe I know you have already done so much for Daggerford, is there any way I might be able to prevail upon you to go out and speak with these visitors and convince them to shove off? Otherwise in the morning I will march my guard out and we will drive them off by the sword if necessary. And our two lawful good paladins are both like, Well, if they're not breaking any laws, we should probably make sure that nobody gets massacred here. And you get the feeling that Lady Marwyn knows exactly who these people are and wants nothing to do with them. Anyways, the party agreed to go out and visit with these visitors. And so they finished the meal, and that very night, they went out to these visitors. Probably around 8 or 8.30 in the evening. 
because Lady Marwyn had said, come morning if they're still there. So the party went out, and the first thing they noticed is that there's these big, covered, painted, colorful wagons. And a bunch of horses hitched, um, all circling the, the top of a hill. There's a big fire, there's people playing fiddle and mandolin and dancing, drinking, and there's a lot of noise and ruckus coming from this group. But there's nobody visibly armed, no guards, standing post. The party kind of argued for a little bit at the base of the hill. Okay, who's going to go first and talk to these people? Eventually, Jagger and Reddick got fed up with the party saying, well, what if they do this? Well, what if they do that? What if they're evil? What if they try to kill us? Because I had made it very clear that everything in Barovia was trying to kill the party before they even made it to Barovia. Like, I, talking to players, I made it very clear that Barovia is a very dangerous place. So then all my players were hyper fixated on this idea that everything that I introduce is going to try to kill them. I'm not sure if that's a, if I've earned that. I don't think I've earned that. I don't think everything you have met has tried to kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, it's trust but verify. Or in Jagger's case, stab then verify. Right, but yeah. That's where, but that's also, again, the lawful good paladin, of course, in that scenario is good cop Uh, yeah right exactly (laughs) we'll go over there and try to resolve it and jagger will chime in if he has to exactly so reddick and jagger go tromping up the hill and then they don't come down and i stayed i let you guys go up the hill and i stayed with the other with the rest of the party (laughs) and i just let the rest of the party sit there for a minute while you guys are at the top of the hill and i just kept saying i'll get back to you don't worry waiting for the rest of the party and the rest of the, at some point, Georgia goes, how long have they been up there? And I'm like, at this point, like 30, 45 minutes. What are you guys doing? And so she says, she being, you know, the wizard, Aaron says, well, I guess I'm going to have to go up there after them. And she gets to the top of the hill. And that's when I go back to you guys. And I said, so you reach the top of the hill and somebody immediately shoves a wine flask in Reddick's hand. And somebody looks at Jagger and says, you look like you could use a smoke. And immediately you're both just pulled into this party going on at the top of the hill. The rest of the players make it to the top of the hill and they find Reddick is dancing and drinking and having a heck of a time. Jagger is... Sulking. Sulking and puffing on a pipe, maybe? He was offered a pipe. Yeah. And they get to the top of the hill and that is when you meet the leader of these people. Uh, Stannis? I call him Stannis? Something like that. Mm. Might have been a little bit more Eastern, European. But he comes out and you discover he introduces the people as Vistani. And in D&D and particularly in Barovia, the Vistani are like the D&D equivalent of Romani, Romani Gypsy. They are traveling people. They have a very different way of life than most other people are accustomed to. But they meet, for the most part, they generally mean no harm. And through discussing things with the leader, Stannis, the party relays Lady Marwyn really wants you to go away. She's threatening to send armed men out. And Stannis says, well, that's okay, because we're going to be leaving in the morning. And the party's like, oh, great, good. I guess we can leave. And Stannis says, no, you sit by the fire. Have have some drink. Dance with us. Have food. We're going to have more food. And I have stories to tell. So the party is coerced into staying with the Vistani and joining in their revels. And eventually, Stannis starts telling this story. And this is one of the things that came directly out of the, the Curse of Strad book. The Curse of Strad book opens with multiple plot hooks that you can use to kind of dump your player into Barovia. One of them is called Images in the Fire or Pictures in the Fire, where 
the party has discovered a group of Vistani. They're invited to share the evening with them. And the leader of the Vistani, Stanis, relates this story. The story he tells is about this daring, dashing young prince who was once wounded gravely and nursed back to health by a band of Vistani. And in turn, he saved the Vistani people from annihilation. And he's a little vague about exactly who the prince is or what the annihilation is. And he explains that this all happened so long ago that no one remembers any names anyways. And then at the tail end, Stannis says, we are here to meet you, looking at everyone at the party. We were sent by our great prince to bring people to his lands to save him, is what Stannis tells the party. And Stannis says that we're going to be leaving in the morning. Would you please travel with us? And this is one of those points where the party could have gone one way or the other. They can either choose, yes, they're going to travel with the Vistani in the morning, or they're not. At which point I then flip through my book and pick a different plot point. Because there were multiple. One of my favorite ones is the easiest one. Is the party is traveling on the road and suddenly mists envelop them. And when they come out of the mist, they're not where they were before. Which is effectively what happens to them anyways. The party agreed to go with the Vistani. And they traveled with the... They loaded up the wagons after everybody is hung over. Really hung over. Because Vistani know how to party. And the party maybe doesn't necessarily know how to party. That's a lot of partying. <laughs> anyways, they travel with the Vistani. They start weaving their way up into the mountains near Daggerford. And they come to this wall of mist. And Reddick, in particular, keeps saying to the the, the lead wagon driver, Stannis, keeps, keeps saying, there's nothing here. <laughs> this road shouldn't even exist. What are we doing? The road we are literally driving on is not on any map I've ever seen. That wall of mist should be 100 miles away from here. What is going on? And my favorite thing to do to uh, probationary fraternity brothers when they were joining the fraternity a long time ago was to tell them all in due time. Everything will be explained all in due time. Whenever they would ask me a question that they hadn't gone through initiation so they don't, they don't know yet, and I can't tell them because I haven't done initiation, I did that to the party multiple times as the Vistani. He just kept saying, don't worry about it. We know where we're going. Don't worry. We know where we're going. It, all in good time, my friend. Don't worry. And the party crossed the mists and entered into a land that none of them had ever seen before. And that is how we got to Barovia. And I don't think we got much farther that, se that first second session. No, we, we met, we got all the way to the, the Vistani camp in Barovia and got the prophecy, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we did. Looking at the guy who played in the session as well and has sometimes much better memory than me. So traveling, couple of days travel, got to do just a lot more character building interactions with the party, not all of which I remember, but was good because sometimes it feels like D&D &D sessions can be very combat focused or a little bit of character building, now combat, a little bit of character building, now combat. This opening session, there was no combat at all. Eventually, the wagons make it to the Tsar Pool, which is one of the locations of Barovia, encampment of Vistani. And Stannis has multiple times now told the party, don't worry about it, we know where we're going, but also when we reach our destination, our leader will tell you more. And the party is introduced to Madame Ava. And Madame Ava is this ancient 
wise woman of the Vistani, and she is the leader of the Vistani in Barovia, or most of the Vistani in Barovia, and she's a fortune teller. And all of the Curse of Strad centers around the fortune that Madame Ava gives the party. So after more dancing and drinking with the Vistani, eventually Madame Ava comes out of her tent and she calls the whole party into her tent, the whole player party into her tent. And she does this uh, Taraka deck reading of their future. And the Taraka deck is essentially the Barovian version of a tarot deck. I went ahead and bought the actual deck so I could show it to my party as we were playing. But I stacked it to get the prophecy that I wanted. I wondered how much of it was uh, random. It, was, it, was, it wasn't random. Cool. Now, you could do it completely random. You could. You shuffle the deck and just draw the top five cards because that's all you do. Mm-hmm. You shuffle and draw. I didn't shuffle. I stacked the top five cards after doing thorough research as to which card was which because I wanted to control some parts of that story. What the prophecy does, it it tells the party where they will find three items that are necessary to defeat Strad. It will tell them if there is an ally in Barovia that will be an aid to them in defeating Strad or if there isn't. And it tells the party where the final confrontation will take place. So I wanted to control those things. (laughs) The locations of the three items were a little bit less necessary than other. But I really wanted to control what ally they would get, what ally you would all get, which you've now met, Mm -hmm. and where the final confrontation would take place. And I based it very heavily on the book that I read, the I. Strad Memoir of a Vampire. Because the final location just felt so poetically just after reading the book. So I'll read to you what the fortune telling foretold. The first card, Madame Ava lays out all five cards, or I, the DM, lay out all five cards. I point to the first card and I say, this is knowledge of the past to aid the present. I flip the card and say, look for a wizard's tower on a lake. Let the wizard's name and servant guide you to to that which you seek. Then she points to the second card. She says, a holy symbol of great hope and flips it. Look to the west. Find a pool blessed by the light of the white sun. Then she points to the third card and says, the sun sword. And she flips it. She says, I see a sleeping prince, a servant of light and the brother of darkness. This treasure lies with him. And she points to the fourth card. She says, this is an ally to aid you in your quest. And she flips it and kind of chuckles to herself because it's actually her great-granddaughter. <laughs> she says, this is a Vistana who wanders this land alone searching for her mentor. She doesn't stay in one place for long, so seek her out at the St. Markovia's Abbey near the Mists. And then she points to the very last card. and She says, this is the final confrontation. He dwells with one whose blood sealed his doom, a brother of light snuffed out too soon. And as I'm reading this, I'm looking across the the, the recording studio to Ben's face, and Ben just went, oh, Yeah, at yeah. least two of those sound like they're in very close proximity to one another, so thanks yeah, that, for stacking. That should be a lot of fun. Uh. It'll be good. It'll be good. But 
So that's what that's what happened in that second session. There was no combat. Yeah. It was all character development, story plot hooks. And at the end of that, Madam Ava offered the party horses and sent them on to the village of Barovia. Barovia itself is a large valley. It is flanked on either on the north and south side by mountains. And then all of the villages and the castle lie within the valley. The castle is actually up in the mountains, but the village of Barovia of Valeki and Kresk and one village that isn't on the map anymore because it's been destroyed. Um, they all sit in the valley of Barovia. And that's where we uh, that's where we called it for the night. I gave them that fortune. I let them drink and make merry. And in the morning, they were to ride to the village of Barovia. We have continued to come back to that prophecy because as we were pulling it up, we realized, oh yeah, this has been uh, copied into our campaign group chat on five separate occasions it's important (laughs) it's really important it also is good for providing the party kind of like direction because barovia is a big sandbox there's a lot of side quests or events that you can stumble on you kind of lose track of the main story if you're not careful and some of those events don't necessarily tie back into the main story if there isn't a prophecy about them so there's a whole section of the map that i don't think our party will go to And a whole group of characters and issues that I don't think our party will discover simply because tying that back into the prophecy is, well, it's not in the prophecy, so there's no reason to go there. Um, Right. And that's one of those things where, in a sense, kind of talking about being overprepared, underprepared, the preparation looks so much different when you're running from one of these Mm pre-builds. Because everything's in the book, and as long as you've got a good knowledge of the book, you should be able to take your party through a game with very little notice. Now I'm considering adding things to the book just to make my party's life miserable. Um, and because I think it'd be a really cool story. Yeah. That's really the big key. I, I joke and say it's to kill my players and to make my party miserable. That's not the case. I think it'll be a cool story adding some things to it. But for the most part, the party has now engaged mm-hmm. on this prophecy and they're starting to make their way. And in real time, the party has actually achieved some of the prophecy, which we'll get to in future episodes and how that comes about and what shape that takes, even though the party knows what the prophecy says. And it's fairly clear. It's really interesting to see how you guys manifest that as we go through. So in future episodes, obviously we're going to cover that. Mm -hmm. I have one item I want to piggyback on a little bit, especially because I reference Matthew Colville a bunch on the adventures assemble episodes he has a video where he talks about fudging rolls. That is its own topic, but he pointed out one thing that applies to the dice or anything really in your game, such as the Taraka deck, that could be random. And he just says, I mean, the dice don't create drama. They create randomness. So you could end up with those five elements of the prophecy being spread out around Barovia and then at that point maybe you have ample opportunity to explore all these different regions that your sandbox has to offer they could end up kind of all on top of each other you could stack your deck to get that more spread out optimization to it or you could also go with the option that gives you the best possible dramatic flourish and I suspect that is the direction we're heading and of course you've confirmed that (laughs) yeah those last two were more about getting the dramatic flourish the first three the item locations Mm -hmm. it was most to me it was mostly about seeing the big pieces of Barovia because I do I think once we do actually finish this I do intend to go back to Barovia at some point 
and maybe run it again or run it differently. I also just stumbled across a how-to of Strad Must Die Tonight. <laughs> and it is a four-hour timed session where the goal is to get your party to a final confrontation with Strad. All in Castle Ravenloft. And that's it. Goodness. And it was really cool. And I, I, I want to do some more reading on it. Maybe even test it sometime. As like maybe a Halloween feature or something. Because it is just a very interesting concept. It also just takes this massive, massive text of a, of a guide. And condenses it down to... Congratulations, level five. You are now in Castle Ravenloft. <laughs> Try not to die. And essentially it opens up with Strad saying... Welcome to my castle. You have until midnight to discover how to kill me. If you do not, I will kill you. Have fun, everyone. The other That's a very good note to end on. I will offer this as well, because I feel like another fun thing that could be interesting, especially high-level play, and this is just the Batman fan thinking of Arkham Knight, set an adventure in Barovia post-Strad. And what that's does the, that power vacuum look like? Well, that's the other thing. Strad's not the, all, the almighty power. There's actually something bigger than him that's more terrifying. I almost wonder if we might not see the party begin to sympathize with Strad enough that we actually go after that bigger power. It's possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen, and I'm totally okay with the party by the time they finally get through all of Strad's bullshit <laughs> to just up and kill him, regardless of whatever sympathy I've managed to gain for him. But there is a bigger, darker power that does give me the opportunity to essentially dump Barovia back into the Sword Coast and have the party continue fighting whatever hell spawned Strat. So there's a lot of options if the people at the table want to keep playing. And that's really all that it... That's what it boils down to is these campaign di diaries don't exist if we don't have people at the table who still want to play. And so by going back and reflecting on what we've done so far, we can continue to perfect our formula of bringing people back to the table. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review, give a rating, subscribe, and share with your friends from wherever you get your podcasts, especially if they play D&D. It all helps Storytelling Breakdown reach more people and grow our community. You can check out the SB blog and past episodes at our website, storytellingbreakdown.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram and reach out to our team at info at storytelling-breakdown.com. Our theme music is by Kurt Remke. Our logo is by Daniel Church, with campaign diary logos provided by Michael Ganser and Jeremy Stroop. Our podcast is hosted wherever you get your podcasts by John Dawkins and Wayne Shout Productions. Everyone has a story. These are some of our favorites. And this has been a Storytelling Breakdown Campaign Diary.
WSP, Wayne Shout Productions. Wayne Shout.